All right, um, first off, uh, I'm very excited uh, not only to get to speak, but because today is the start of Christmas music all the time on Star 93.3. So I'm going to take start off by taking an informal poll. Who are the people that are like me that like Christmas music right after Halloween? Anybody? Who else is like me? Okay. Okay. Now who, like my wife, says that Christmas music should only be played after Thanksgiving? Who's, who's that? Yeah, we got, okay. So it's about 50-50. That's what I figured. Um, so yeah, a little, little bit of a point of contention in our family uh, with uh, me playing Christmas music in November, but it is what it is. So uh, we're going to talk today. Um, we're going to continue the series that, uh, that uh, Pastor Keith, Pastor Rick have been doing um, about these um, kind of this uh, bird's eye view, I guess you could say, of Scripture, the, the kind of looking at it from the big picture uh, it's kind of, we're going to continue with that, and we're going to pick up where Rick left off. He left off with uh, Moses and the Israelites coming out of slavery in Egypt, and we're going to start there. We're going to talk about the conquest of the promised land under Joshua is primarily what we're going to talk about. Uh, and it's interesting um, that I got to teach this lesson because this is a very, very topical lesson, as we're going to find out as we get through this. Uh, so what we're going to do is, a lot of this stuff is probably stuff you've heard before, but uh, we're just going to kind of go through it, not relatively quickly, uh, but we're going to pick a few points that we're going to kind of spend a little bit more time on. Uh, but for the most part, we're just going to do, uh, kind of go a little bit quickly through this uh, as kind of like a, almost like a history lesson. So it started off, as I said, the Jews, they had just, um, they, they had uh, left Egypt, they had been delivered out of Egypt, out of bondage in Egypt, and they were headed to the promised land. And this was the land that God had promised them, uh, among, among other promises. And when they got there, Moses decided, well actually God told Moses to send one man from each of the 12 tribes into this land and scout it out. So that's what he did. He picked 12 men um, to... to um, to go and spy out this land. They were to spy it out for 40 days. They were to spy the land, let them know what, what, uh, what they found there. So after 40 days, they came back, and 10 of the spies said that God was right. It is a great place. Uh, as they said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. Unfortunately, they were afraid of their inhabitants. They said that these inhabitants, they have these big walled cities, uh, they said that there's giants there, the sons of Anak, who were the, uh, I guess, ancestors of Goliath. So they were, they, and they were talking about these giants. And they said that we're, compared to these people, we're nothing but bugs. And if we go in there, we're going to get squashed. So they gave a bad report that filled the people with fear uh, about going into their promised land, the land that God had promised them. But two spies, Caleb and Joshua, they said, don't listen to those guys. We can do this. We have God on our side. God will fight our battles for us. All we have to do is just go in and just take it, and it'll be easy. Um, but unfortunately, the people listened to the 10 fearful spies and not Caleb and Joshua. And they actually, the, the Jews at that time, they actually thought about stoning Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua electing new leaders, and then going back to Egypt. That's how bad 
uh, it was, that they were actually willing to go back into slavery rather than risk going into the promised land, the land that God had promised them. So because of this, God says, you're going to wander 40 years, one year for every day that the spies were there, you're going to wander in the wilderness. And the purpose of that was, is he wanted that every person of that generation to die off. And he said that your, your uh, descendants, your children, your grandchildren, they're going to be the ones that are going to inherit this promised land. You are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until you all die, except for Caleb and Joshua. Uh, and then your children will get to go back and they will actually take the promised land. Um, and it's kind of interesting, you know, these are the people that saw the deliverance of God in Egypt. These are the people that saw the plagues. They saw the miracles. They saw the parting of the Red Sea and the defeat of Pharaoh. I mean, they saw these great, great miracles that God performed. But when it came crunch time for them to go in and to claim this promise, they, they, they didn't believe. They didn't have faith. They didn't trust God that he was going to keep his promises. But the younger generation, the ones that either heard about this stuff secondhand. They saw some stuff. I mean, they saw the, the cloud in the, that led them during day and the, the, the pillar of fire that led them by night. They ate manna every day. So they saw some of God's miracles, but they didn't see like the big ones that their parents did. But yet they had more faith, uh, which was interesting that the, the generation that saw it did not believe. They did not have faith. They did not trust. But the generation that did not and had to go on nothing but faith, they were the ones that had enough faith that they could go in and get the promised land. So I think that was kind of interesting. So they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And if you ever want to do an interesting study, uh, I did a, um, a series on this once in my Bible study way back uh, where we uh, read all the different times that the Jews complained during that 40 years. And it, it was eye-opening. Uh, it's very interesting uh, just how much they complained. And if you ever want to feel bad for Moses, read, read those, those four books, uh, um, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. Read those books and see what poor Moses had to go through with these people with just nonstop complaining. Uh, I felt feel bad for the poor guy. Um, but after those 40 years, all those people, all those complainers, all those naysayers, all those people with no faith, they ended up dying, and their, their children, under the, uh, under the leadership of Joshua, they were going to go back and take the promised land. And these were a different breed of people. These were a different group of people. Uh, when you read Joshua, these people, they were on fire. They just wanted to go in, and they, they wanted to take it. They knew God was with them. They, they really had a lot of faith which was good. Um, so it's interesting when you go through the, read through the book of Joshua, you will see many, many times the word or words pertaining to courage. God says to Joshua several times, have courage. The people say to Joshua several times, have courage. Joshua says to the people, have courage. All about courage when it comes to the Israelites. But when you read any time when it talks about the Canaanites, the people that, the inhabitants of the land, it was always fear. Every context was they were afraid. It talks about their hearts melted with fear. Uh, and so you have on one side, you have the Israelites who are all about courage and faith and, and ready to go. And then on the other side, you had the Canaanites and all they had was fear. Um, so, uh, and, I, and that was 
you know, that was God's plan. That was God's plan. Um, so they, they headed back toward the promised land. Uh, they made a, a kind of a, a short stop on the east side of jo- the Jordan River. There were some people there they had, to, they had to take care of, some bad guys they had to take care of. And that land went to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and, Man- and Manasseh, or half-tribe of Manasseh. They claimed that area as, their, as theirs. Uh, but they agreed that they would go over the Jordan and they would help their brethren to fight, continue to fight. They said, we'll leave our women and children here. We'll keep fighting uh, because that's what, you know, that's what brothers do. That's what relatives do. We, we fight for each other. So they agreed to do that. So then uh, once they got there, once they got to the border of the promised land, then Joshua sent two spies in to spy out Jericho. Jericho was a border city. Uh, it was the key to taking the Holy Land, was taking Jericho. It was probably one of the most heavily fortified cities. We know, we've all heard the story about, you know, the big giant wall that came down and things like that. It did, it had a huge wall. And it was kind of the, like I said, it was the key. If they could take Jericho, then they could just sweep right into the, the undefended middle of, uh, of that land and just start their conquest. So it was all, Jericho was the key. So he sent these two spies in. Um, they uh, ended up being saved by a prostitute named Rahab. Uh, she said that uh, she was going to save them because she said that I've seen, we've heard what your God is doing and I believe in your God and I've seen the, the fear that my people have of your God and I want to be, basically I want to be on the winning side is basically what she said. Um, so she hid the spies, she lied to their, her king, she snuck them out of town uh, and they said that for, for doing this, that she would be saved through the conquest. And they told her, they gave her a, a red cord, and they said, you hang this up, and anybody that, that's in your house where this red cord is, they'll be spared for, for what's going to come, for when the invasion comes. So they, they were able, she was able to save herself and all of her family. And what's interesting about this, what's so important about Rahab, uh, and it's interesting as we talk about this, the big picture we're going to see time and again God uh, works in what seems like really small, little, almost inconsequential things, yet they have huge, huge significance. And Rahab is one of those. You know, she was just a Canaanite prostitute, but as we, as we see, if you go through the Bible, one of her descendants, I think it's her, great, her grandson, is Boaz, who marries Ruth, who was the uh, ancestor of King David, who through King David's line comes the, came the kings and ultimately Jesus. So Rahab was very important in that line. Uh, and so, at, like I said, it seemed like she was an inconsequential type of person, but yet she was actually in the lineage of Christ, Rahab was, uh, which is kind of amazing. And the fact that God preserved the, the bloodline that he wanted um, even when all this other stuff was going on. So I think that's, that's pretty interesting. So um, they get to the Jordan River once these spies come back and they said, yeah, we can take this city, we can take Jericho. So they uh, get to the Jordan River and they, they have the Ark of the Covenant with them and they send the priests first and as soon as the priests, as soon as their feet get wet, the waters part just like they did the Red Sea that talks about that the, the, the waters parted and they all passed across on dry land. Uh, as they went, the people went over, Joshua had uh, some strong guys pick large stones out of the middle of the river, and he used those to build a memorial 
so that people later generations, when they saw that, they would remember how God parted the Jordan River and allowed them to come in and, and take, their, take the promised land that he had promised them. So uh, he, he sit, had, did that as a memorial. The other interesting thing that happened as soon as they crossed the Jordan was that was when the manna stopped. The manna stopped at that point. Up until then, for 40 years, they were eating manna all the time. Um, and, but this, as soon as they crossed into the promised land, that stopped because at this point, God had other ways of providing for them. Uh, and so the, the manna stopped at that point, um, which I'm sure was a shock to the peop the, these young people who'd never eaten anything but manna. I mean, that's probably all they knew was manna. Uh, so that was probably a bit of a shock to them. Uh, but God, God, was, God was ready and he was, he was ready to, to supply their needs. So they go into to Jericho and God gives them a specific instructions. And these are instructions that carry forth throughout all of the conquest of, of, of Canaan. He said that you need to go in there and you need to kill every living thing. He said that the, the spoils and things like that are going to go to the temple or, or to the, the, uh, the tabernacle that will eventually become the temp temple. All that, the treasure and stuff is going to be God's. But he says every other living thing you need to kill. Uh, and a lot of people have problems with that uh, when they read that, that God told them to go in and just basically commit genocide on these people. Um, but there's a more to it than that. If you just read it at face value, yeah, that seems a little bit harsh, but there's more to it than that. Several times previously, God had laid out the sins of the Canaanites and just how bad these people were. He laid out the fact that their, their culture was just revolved around idolatry. They were steeped in idolatry. They had, were committing all sorts of sexual immorality, sexual deviation. And the worst thing was, is they were committing human sacrifice. They were killing their own children in the service of their gods. And, and God, to, to God, that was just abhorrent. He, he just could not stand that. And he's like, you, these people have got, have got to go. They're, they're horrible. They're the worst. Now, what's interesting is, is he passed this judgment on them, but he told the Israelites, the Israelites that he was using as an instrument of judgment on these people, he said, if you do the same thing that they do, the exact same judgment is going to happen to you. What happened? Eventually, they did. They became just as bad as the Canaanites. They started idol worshiping. They started doing all these, this sexual immorality. They started actually... Uh, sacrificing their children to Moloch and these other Canaanite deities, Baal and Ashtaroth and all this stuff. And what happened? God sent the Assyrians to the northern kingdom, wiped them out, uh, and then he sent the Babylonians to the southern kingdom, other than the remnant that he promised that he was going to save for David's sake, he wiped everybody else out. So God is no respecter of persons. The, the Jews, they did the same thing, they got the same judgment. And why I said that this is so topical is because if we think about it, we think about the kind of sins that they did. We talk, you know, the idolatry. Our nation is built on idol worship. You see it everywhere. People don't like bow down to like a, a wood or, or, or gold statue anymore, but idols are everywhere. Money, money is a huge, huge idol in our society. Fame, fortune, Notoriety. I mean, the social media, all these people that all they want is, you know, the, the, the likes and things like that on social media. All they want is that fame. All those are idols. The people that, that, that these influencers, what they call these social media influencers, where people worship them. They, they hang on every 
post that they make and they, 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 they mold their lives to be like these people. I mean, idol worship is everywhere in our country. Sexual immorality is everywhere. Sexual deviation is everywhere. And the worst is killing of children is prevalent in our nation. And we, you know, God, he told the, because of their sin, he had passed judgment on the Canaanites. When the Israelites did the same thing, he passed judgment on them. It's only a matter of time. If our country does not, something does not happen soon, I think soon, then we're going to face the exact same judgment because we are doing the exact same thing that God said, I, I cannot stand this. I'm going to have to take these people out because I just can't deal with it. I, I can't, their sin is just so horrible. And if anything, ours is, 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 is worse. Uh, the, the amount of children that are killed in this nation every year is just staggering. And we're coming up on election and I'm not going to get political or anything, but issue one is a big deal. Issue one is going to allow a lot more, a lot more abortions. A lot more sexual deviations and, and things like that are, are going to take place if this issue passes. Uh, and we could see a number of abortions just skyrocket. And I, I honestly think that, that, that judgment is going to come. Judgment is going to come. Uh, just as like it did for the Canaanites, judgment's going to come. And again, some people say that this is hypocritical. These, these people were sacrificing their children killing their children, and yet when God said, I want you to kill every living thing, that meant man, women, and children. How is that, how does that go together? How is that not hypocritical? But let's kind of think of it in God's terms, and I, I don't even think, you know, try and say that I think like God does, but let's just kind of, kind of try, try that, this out. And in the book of Romans, Paul says that uh, basically, if, if a child dies, they go to heaven. Uh, Paul said that when he was young and he did not understand what sin was, that he was spiritually alive and therefore had no need of salvation. He was a young child. He didn't know any better. He didn't know what sin was. And if he would have died, he would have gone to heaven. But he said that when, when he understood sin, he died. He spiritually died. And at that point, he needed salvation. So the Bible is clear that children that die, they go to heaven. That, that, that's clear. There's, there's what we call the age of accountability, where when a child, uh, where a young person understands the ramifications of sin and consequences and their actions and things like that, then they become responsible for those. But prior to that, if a child dies, they go to heaven. So these, these, these children, these Canaanite children that God was saying, you need to take out all the men, women, and children, these children were going to go to heaven. Now, if this judgment did not happen, these children were going to grow up, if they didn't get sacrificed, they were going to grow up in a nation filled with idolatry and just every kind of horrible sin imagined with almost no chance of salvation, and that when they die, they're going to go to hell. Which would be better? The fact that they died as children and went to heaven, or the fact that, that God allowed them to live and they lived in this horrible, sinful environment, died and went to hell. Which would be worse? I think dying and going to hell would be worse. If they, he allowed them to live in that situation, in that culture, he's basically, you know, that, that, you, know you can almost write them off, that they're not going to get saved uh, in that kind of environment, and that if they died, they would go to hell. So I think that kind of, uh, that might kind of help uh, if, you, if, 
if you're confused by that or if somebody you know is confused by that, that kind of uh, potential hypocrisy um, between the, the order to kill the, every living thing and the fact that they were getting judgment passed on them for, for killing children. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll continue moving on and not, not continue to, to belabor that. So as we know, they went to Jericho. They, um, we all know the story. Uh, there's all kinds of stories, children's lessons, songs about the wall falling down with Jericho. Uh, they, they got there, the, the priests, they carried the Ark of the Covenant, they carried trumpets, they walked around the city one time, six days in a row, and then on the seventh day, they woke up early, they went around it seven times, and then when they, when they finished, they blew the trumpets, everybody yelled, the wall came down, they went in and they conquered Jericho. So uh, that was the first, like I said, Jericho was key. From then on, uh, the, the conquest was on, I guess you would say. So the, uh, what happens next is the next place they go after Jericho, there's their little tiny town called Ai. Little tiny town. And at this point, the, the Jews, they were feeling good. They were like, we just destroyed, you know, this massive, massive city. Here's this little town of Ai. We won't even send the whole army. We'll just send a couple guys over there. We'll take care of them. No problem. Well, they go and they get beat like bad. <laughs> they, they, they get full retreat. Men are killed. They, they have to run retreat. And Joshua and the other Jews, they're like, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? You know, this is not what God had promised. And God said, somebody sinned. Somebody sinned. So they did some casting of lots and found out that it was a man named Achan. Uh, and that he said that he saw these, these treasures that were supposed to be for God. These were, these were supposed to go to the treasury for God. And he said, I saw it. I coveted it. So I took it. Three steps. I saw it. I wanted it. I took it. Uh, and it reminds me of uh, in, the, in John, 1 John chapter 2.16 where it talks about three big problems, three big sin problems. First one, lust of the eyes. That's exactly what Achan had. He's like, I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. And unfortunately, that's, that's, a, that, that's the progression, that's the steps that we can fall into when we allow the lust of the eyes to take over in our lives. We see something, we want it, we got to have it. And of course, that, that leads us in, then into sin. So we have to be very careful of this. Just like, uh, just like they paid the penalty for that sin, but they're defeated AI, we can also sometimes, that we may face judgment based on our own sin of lusting of the eyes. So after this, they, they put Achan to death. He is executed. And then they go back to AI, this time with God with them, and they are able to beat AI easily with God on their side. So at this point, uh, the word is spreading all throughout Canaan that the Israelites have come. They've taken out Jericho. They've taken out AI. Who's next? You know, the, everybody was afraid. All the Canaanites were afraid. Uh, but then these guys called the Gibeonites, they were smart. They, most of the other people were like, they were either afraid and cowardly, or they were like, okay, I'm afraid, but I'm going to attack them. Um, but not the Gibeonites. They, they had a plan. They had a plan to save their people. What they did was they, they knew the order that they were, the Jews were supposed to kill everybody. So what they did was is they found like old ratty clothes, put them on, shoes that were all beat up with holes in them. They took bread that was all hard and moldy, 
And they went to the Jews and they said, we've come from a far off land. Really, they were like one of the next people to get attacked. But they said, we're from this far off land. We've heard about your fame and your glory and how great you people are. And we just want to be your servants. You know, we've heard about how awesome you are. We just want to serve you because you're just so awesome. And the Jews, without consulting God, they're like, they were probably feeling pretty good. They're like, yeah, yeah, we, we are awesome. We are awesome. We do, we do need some servants to do the dirty work that we don't want to do because we're too good for it. So when they made this offer, they did not, confront, they did not consult God at all. And they just immediately agreed. They're like, yes, yes, we, we want this. We want you guys as our servants. We want you guys to continue to, to fawn over us and to tell us how awesome we are. And then they find out that this is one of the the towns that they were supposed to destroy. But they made a deal, and a deal's a deal. So they said, okay, well, then we're not going to kill them. We will make them our servants, but we're not going to kill them. That was the first of many, many mistakes where they did not do what God wanted them to do. Um, As we're going to see here in a few moments. But but the, the, the problem here, and again, going back to that, 1 John 2.16, we talked about the lust, of the lust of the eyes. It also talks about the pride of life. The pride of life. Pride is a very, very bad sin in God's eyes because pride, the sinful kind of pride that we're talking about is where we take credit for what God has done. And God does not like that. God does not like pride where we take credit for what he has done. And so when these people came and they were telling the Jews how awesome they were, they were just eating it up. They were like, yes, yes, we are awesome. They had that pride of life where they felt like they were, they were the ones that were doing all this, not God. I mean, they totally forgot about what happened at AI where they didn't have God and they got beat and they did have God and they won. Forgot all about that. All they knew was that these people were, wanted to, 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 to praise and worship them and that's all they cared about. Um, and so they got hung up on that pride of life, on the sin of pride. They started feeling that they were the ones that were doing this, that they were the ones that were awesome and not God. And we're going to see that's going to cause lots of problems further on as well. So, uh, next, the, the, the conquest begins in earnest at that point. They start conquering cities left and right. Uh, at one point, it talks about one battle where a bunch of kings joined together, a bunch of kingdoms joined together. Uh, And it talks about the giant rocks fell from the sky to crush the soldiers. And it said that more people were killed by the rocks than there were by the soldiers. So you could see that when God said he was going to fight their battles for them, he meant it. He did. He sent these giant hailstones. They they killed more people than than the army did. Um, And God, at one point, he even stopped the sun so that the battle could continue. Uh, So uh, again, God was, was, was fighting their battles for them. And because of that, they were winning. Uh, they continued to, to, to beat these, uh, these city-states, to take them over, dominate them, destroy them. Um, and, then, and then they got to a point where uh, the main conquest had, had taken place. They'd taken over the whole middle of this, of this area. And all it was was a couple outlying areas that were still, still there with the Canaanites. And so what they decided to do then, that they were going to divide the land up at that point between all the tribes, and then the tribes would go in their separate ways and they would deal with the people uh, individually instead of it's just one big group of Israelites. They were going to kind of split up and take these other smaller areas. So they did. They, they divided it up among the, among the 12 tribes. Um, 
the, the two, or actually the ten and a half, I guess, or was it nine and a half? I can't even do math now. Nine and a half, because two and a half were over on the other side. So they divided up amongst the, the nine and a half that were on this side. And at that point, they went off and were fighting their own battles. These, the tribes were fighting their own, their own battles on their own, the individual tribes. But the problem here is we see time and time and time again, they don't do what God says. They said, okay, they defeat this person, they defeat this person, but this person they didn't defeat. They let them live. And the Bible talks about the fact that the reason they did that was they put them under what was called tribute, which basically means they were going to tax them. They were going to make them pay money, and that's why they saved them. They saved them for money because what you know, why do people love money? It buys stuff, right? That's why people love money. All the stuff that you can get with money, all the stuff you can buy with money. Um, and that was their downfall. They were, God told them you need to destroy these people because they're going to do nothing but cause problems. But they saved pe certain peoples because they wanted money, because they wanted to buy stuff. That's what money's for, to buy stuff. And again, that leads us to the third one. We had the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the last one was this, the lust of the flesh. They wanted stuff. They wanted more stuff. They, God had already given them lots of stuff, lots of spoils from these battles. They were rich beyond, probably with more money they could ever spend, but they want, like money is, you want more. If you have money, you just want more money, and that was what they did. They wanted more money, so they were willing to let people live for the sake of money, so that they could have more stuff, buy more stuff, and that, that's that, that lust of the flesh. They, they wanted those, those fleshly desires to be met with the stuff that they could buy with all this money. So because of that, these peoples that they let live were like, uh, they, they were a problem throughout all the history of, of Israel, these groups, because they were constantly leading the Israelites astray because they, these were the Canaanites that had done all those bad things. They're, they were supposed to be judged for all these bad things and letting them live meant that they could continue to do those bad things. And if they're like right in the midst of these, these uh, tribes of Israelites that all this bad stuff is happening, they start joining in and they just, they just start following after them and lead them astray. Things that would not have happened had they not done what God said, and just taken them out. And so the reason why I was saying that this is, this is pretty topical is because if you think about it, the Palestinian people, they have their roots in these groups of Canaanites that the Israelites did not destroy. There were there are lots of other Arab incoming peoples and things like that, but the, the basic roots of, the, of those people was, for, was these, these groups that they did not destroy. Here it is, thousands of years later, they're still causing problems. They still are at war with these people. It's never really stopped. And it's, again, if this could have all been taken care of, if they just would have done what God told them to do. If he they would have dealt with them then, they would not be continuing to cause problems then and now. Um, so I think that that's, that's a, a pretty topical uh, lesson when we, t when we hear about all the stuff that's going on over in Israel right now, all these attacks and the war and things like that, that uh, it has its roots in the conquest of Canaan and the fact that this was the promised land that the Jews were promised by God. These were the people who, it was their land first, so they feel like they have the right to it, and they've been fighting over it for thousands of years, and unless something happens, they'll continue to fight over it for Probably thousands more if God tarries his coming. So 
uh, it's interesting that, again, like I said, that if they had just done what God told them to do, it would have saved them thousands of years of headaches and, and problems. But they didn't. They got troubled up by those three sins, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So, uh, at this point, the conquest was pretty much done. The, uh, uh, like I said, there were some that, that, that they decided not to, to, to defeat. Uh, but there's one in particular that I wanted to read you because I absolutely love this story. As I continue to get older, the more I love this story. If you're, let's say, 50 or over, 60 or over, 70 or over, you're going to love this story. So, remember Caleb, remember Caleb, he was that, 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 uh, that spy that said that, you know, we could do it, we can do it, come on, let's go, we can do this. Well, he lived, like I said, he and Joshua were the only two from that generation that lived, and so this is what he said when it came time for the conquest of, 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 uh, of, uh, of Palestine. He said, 40 years old, oh, by the way, we're Joshua 14, verse 7, Joshua 14, 7. He said, 40 years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, ever since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. He's eighty-five years old. And get, get this next part. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Canaan the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. So Caleb, 85 years old, he says, I am as good a fighter now as I was when I was 40. He said, I am still willing to go out there and fight, and I can still fight with the best of them. I can fight better than all these young people. I can do it because God is with me. And so while these other tribes, entire tribes, were going out and wiping out these, these areas and conquering these areas, Caleb says, just me and my family can take care of this whole mountain. Just give me this whole mountain. My family will take care of it. Joshua says, okay, and they do. But I just love the fact that He's 85 years old, and he said, I am just as strong now as I was at a man of 40. I'm 56 years old. I can't even say I'm the man I was at 50. I can only imagine that. I, I, I would love to be the way I was back when I was 40, uh, much less when I was 85. How awesome would that be? Uh, God, I don't know that, I'm sure that God preserved him, but I think part of it was just you know, they say you're only as young as you feel. Caleb felt like he was still 40. He wanted to go out there and fight. He wanted to fight these people. He wanted to fight them 40 years ago. He had to wait 45 years, and now he was finally going to get the fight that he wanted. He's finally going to get that fight that he's been looking forward to for 45 years. But I just thought that was awesome that, uh, that he still had that fire even at 85 years old. So those of you who are 
No longer the spring chickens, no longer those warriors of 40. You can still go out there and fight those battles because God is on your side. God can strengthen you, he can help you, he can fight the battles with you and for you, and you, there's nothing you can't do, just like nothing Caleb couldn't do because he's, he, he knew the Lord was with him. So hopefully that will encourage you uh, if you're an older person. I'll just leave it at that, an older person. So at this point, the land had been taken, and they, at that point, they uh, then gave out portions for the Levites. The Levites were the priestly tribe, and God said they would not have an actual inheritance, but they were going to have areas in the cities and, and areas in the suburbs and things like that that would, could be theirs. Uh, they just weren't going to have any, uh, any sort of uh, a land grant like, like the other tribes were. So there were 12 tribes, and... Levi was one of those 12 tribes, but they weren't going to get an inheritance. So Joseph, who was one of the, the sons, his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, they became the other two tribes, just so you know how, that, how the math worked out. So they brought them, so even though Levi did not get an inheritance, that brought them back up to 12 tribes that got inheritances uh, because of the two sons of Joseph. So that's how that worked. So the Levites got their portion. Then they designated what they called cities of refuge. Uh, these were cities that were spread around the country and what the city of refuge was. If you accidentally killed somebody, uh, you could go to the city of refuge uh, and there you would live until the high priest died and then you could go back to your home. Uh, but you had to be, it had to be an accident. Uh, but while you were there, the, what they called the revenger, the person that you're, the person you accidentally killed, their family member, that obviously they would want to exact vengeance on you. But as long as you were in the city of refuge, they could not do that. So that was, that was what the city of refuge for. It was a, a safe haven for people that uh, accidentally killed somebody like through manslaughter or something like that. So that, that was what that is. Uh, which that's a, that's a really interesting concept. Uh, if you have some time, research that. It really is an interesting concept, this whole thing about the, the cities of refuge and things like that. So um, then Joshua closes out. Uh, we know that, like I said, the, the, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh that had gotten their portion first because they were on the east side of Jordan. Everybody else was on the west side. Once the conquest was basically done, they all went home. They all went back to the east side. And, you know, things could have ended there in the book of Joshua, but there's one other little uh, interesting thing that happened. Someone, someone comes to, to Joshua and to the, I think it was Eliezer, the, pri the priest, and says that those tribes over there, they've set up their own altar and they're sacrificing over there. God said we're supposed to do it here. They're doing it over there. They're being disobedient to God. So they got all together with the plan that they were going to go out there and they were going to wipe out their brethren, those two and a half tribes, because they sinned against God. Like I said, when I said before, these people, they were, they were on fire for, for, for God. And they're like, you know, you guys, if this is true, we could be facing judgment. We need to deal with them. We need to deal with this. And we need to do it right now. And they were headed out there. They were gonna, they were gonna take out their own brethren if necessary in order to preserve what they had built, what they had gotten, and to preserve what God had told them to do. So they go over there, all ready for war. They're met by the uh, two and a half tribes. Apparently there was a misunderstanding. What they said was, is yes, we built an altar, but we're not sacrificing on it or doing any sort of services on it. It's just a memorial because 
because we've got the Jordan River between us, we kind of feel a little bit isolated over here. We kind of feel a little bit left out. We don't want our descendants to think that we're not all one tribe, one all, one whole family. We want them to know that we're all one family. So what we did was, is we built this as a memorial so that when our children see it, they'll say, what's that? And they'll say, that's a sign of our of the family, of our family bond, that we are all related, we are all Israelites. That's what the whole purpose of that was. So it was just a big misunderstanding. Uh, and again, I don't know why God chose to include that, kind of an interesting story, but that uh, says that they were satisfied by that answer and they went home. Uh, and that kind of, kind of brings to an end the book of Joshua, uh, almost a little bit anticlimactic considering the whole book is all about combat and then the end is you expect there's going to be a big battle and everybody just goes home. So, uh, But it was better than them fighting brother against brother and relative against relative. That was not what God wanted. Um, so, But it was an interesting, interesting inclusion nonetheless. So in our last uh, 10 minutes, let's uh, talk a little bit about what we can learn from this. We've talked, uh, touched on several different important things. Probably the most important thing is that God is faithful and he always keeps his promises. And I'm going to say that again. God is faithful. God always keeps his promises. The Bible is filled with God's promises and he fulfills every one of them. If he hasn't done it yet, he will. We need to have faith and trust in those promises. If you are struggling with something, get into your Bible, find those promises that, that, that apply to you, grab hold of those and say, and, and just affirm that yes, God is going to do this. God is going to keep his promise. Uh, he is going to, to watch over me. He's going to keep me safe. He's going to uh, work everything out for the best for me. He's, he's, he's going to do all these things that he said he's going to do. Because that whole generation of Israelites, they didn't believe it. They saw all the great things God did, but they had no faith. They said, yeah, God promised this, but we don't think he's going to come through. We're, we're going to have to fight these people on our own. God's not going to help us. All the things that God said he was going to do, he's not going to do that. They did not have faith. The next generation did. They're the ones that we need to take our, uh, our inspiration from, is the fact that they believed, they had faith, they held to those promises, they staked their lives on those promises. They went charging into these battles with vastly outnumbered, far superior tactics, far superior equipment, better defenses, and they rolled right over them because God was with them and God was fighting their battles for them. So we need to understand that God is faithful and God always keeps his promises. We can also get some parallels when we talk about the conquest of the, of, of the promised land. Uh, and if we kind of make a parallel of that of the Christian life, if you think about it, the promised land is, think of it as that is the life, the Christian life that we want to attain to. That's the life that we want to have, that life of success in doing what God would have us to do. But in order to do that, there's some things that we need to take care of, some things we need to get out of the way, just like they did. There were some things, they, they, God had promised them the land, but there were some things they had to get rid of before they could go in and take it. And there's things that we have to do, we have, and that thing is to get rid of is sin. If we have sin in our life, we need to get rid of that sin before we can achieve the success that we would want to have in our Christian life. Some of those sins are gonna be big. They're gonna be Jericho-sized sins. Some of them are gonna be little tiny ones, like little AI. But what happened? With God's help, 
he was able to defeat them. And with God's help, he can help you defeat those sins. Whatever those sins are, the big ones or the small ones, you can't do it on your own. They couldn't even be AI, this tiny little town. They couldn't even be AI by themselves. But with God, they could do it. It's the same way with us. If we want to get rid of sin in our life, we cannot, we cannot do it on our own. We can only do it through God helping us and, and strengthening us and fighting our battles with us and for us. So we need, we need to do that. And we need to make sure that when we do, that we get rid of those sins, we, that we wipe them out, that we don't continue to, to revisit them and continue to, to kind of flirt with that sin or kind of, you know, dip your toe in the water of sin or say, I'm going to go just this far but not any farther, that kind of flirtation with sin. No, that's what they did. They, they, they didn't wipe the people out and it did nothing but cause problems for them. For thousands of years, it caused problems for them because they didn't wipe them out. And that's what happens in our life. If we want to be successful Christians and we have sin in our life, we have to get rid of them. If we don't, those sins are just gonna, just like it did with them, those sins are just gonna keep growing, spreading, getting worse. You gotta stamp them out. They're like weeds. Uh, if, you've, uh, if you have a garden or anything like that, you know that if you let weeds grow, they will take over your whole garden. You gotta get them out, you gotta root them up, and you gotta get rid of them. It's the same way with sin in our lives. And we gotta make sure that we are careful of those three biggies, that sin, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the three biggies. Those are ones that we need to especially be careful of. We need to be careful of what we see, what things we consume with our eyes, because the eyes are the window to the soul. The stuff we see goes directly to your brain. And if you want to poison your brain with sin, you look at sinful things. We need to be very careful what we look at. The lust of the flesh, we need to make sure that we are not giving in to those lustful desires, those lusts of the flesh, that we are, uh, that uh, instead that we are bringing our flesh under subjection, that we are uh, mastering our flesh and made it, letting the, the, our will take over. To and the Bible says that, and this is, a, this is a great verse talking about promises to hold on to, this is a great one. The Bible says that if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It doesn't say you might not, you probably won't. It says you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh if you walk in the Spirit. You want to know how to get rid of, how to get rid of that sin of, of, the, of the lust of, of the flesh? Walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the last one, pride of life. We need to make sure that we are humble, that we are not prideful, that we give God his due, which really, God deserves all the credit. I mean, we can't do anything without God. He deserves all the credit. Uh, and we need to make sure that, that, that pride does not seep in and, and poison us. Pride is a very, uh, very sneaky kind of sin. It's one of those that, that just gets in there a little bit and it just starts wheedling its way and it gets bigger and bigger. Um, and then, 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 then you got problems. Uh, so make sure that you stay humble. Stay humble, very important. And again, you could do whole lessons on each one of these three, but for our time, we're just gonna leave it at that. Uh, and then the last thing, like I said, the, the parallels between the, 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 the Canaanites and what we're going through in our country right now uh, is, is very scary. Um, the, the fact that they, God judged them for doing things that our country is doing on a massive scale all across our country every single day. And just, just the abortion issue alone is just, it's just heart-wrenching. Uh, and um, like I said, if, if, if 
something is not done, judgment's going to come. Judgment is going to come. And like I said, uh, I think it's next week. We have an opportunity to, to make a stand and to, to vote down this issue that would, al- that would allow these, these uh, um, late-term abortions. The, 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 it even is, is allowing them up until the day before they're born. I mean, it's horrible. Absolutely horrible. So we've got to make a stand. We've got to do what we can do and to try and, and stop this. Because if not, if something doesn't happen, if Christians don't take a stand, then our nation is going to be judged. And we will face the exact same thing that happened to the, to the Canaanite people. And uh, I, I, you know, I hope I don't see that. I hope it doesn't come to that. But uh, as, as realistically speaking, it, it, it's coming. It's coming if something doesn't happen soon. So that's all I have uh, for this evening. So uh, hopefully it was a blessing to you. Again, I uh, thank uh, Rick and Keith for this opportunity to speak, and I will go ahead and close this out in prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for all the blessings you've given us, and we just thank you for this time which we can come together, Lord, and to fellowship with one another, and to um, bring our needs and our prayer requests to each other and to you, Lord, and just pray that uh, you will be with all the prayer requests that uh, were signified by the uplifted hand, Lord. We know that you know each need, each problem that, that uh, each person here is facing. Just pray that your will might be done and you would show through your grace and your mercy and your love for us, Lord. Just pray that you'll bless us, keep us safe, give us all a good rest of the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.